I'm Eric. And I'm Lauren. We've both volunteered for progressive political causes. And we're both nerds. Growing up, Shira was one of my favorite shows. I've never seen it before. Catching it on Netflix again recently, it struck me how modern the show still feels. Even though it's definitely a product of its time. We're interested in the ways She-Ra presents a modern progressive message. And the ways in which it fails. Join us each week as we dive deep into a different She-Ra story. Always with an eye on how it relates to the present. We're only doing episodes from the first season, so you can follow along on Netflix. But we'll also recap the episodes so you don't have to. We'd love to hear your feedback on everything we're discussing. So please, enjoy this political, nerdy dive into a heck of a cartoon. This This is is She-Ra, Progressive Progressive of Power. Hello, everybody. Welcome to She-Ra Progressive of Power. Fun fact, this is the second uh, episode we're recording in a row tonight. This is our first attempt at a doubleheader recording session, so hopefully you won't be able to tell after this point. (laughs) Uh, Also, we're recording this uh, a couple days before we release the podcast for the first time, so this will be the last kind of set of episodes that we're doing before they go out into the world, which is exciting. And in fact, we kind of timed the release to coincide with Dragon Con, which Lauren is going to this weekend. Yes, I just got back from seeing the eclipse in St. Louis, and now I'm off to Dragon Con with three days at work in between. <laughs> Can I ask you, was the eclipse cool in St. Louis? It was very cool. It was super cool. Um, I actually, my day job is at an optometry school, and I feel like the fear mongering was very real about like don't look at it yeah the optometric damage you could do to your eyes you know solar retinopathy don't look but there wasn't going to be totality in chicago anyway and so i mean yes it, it could still definitely hurt your eyes but the main event you we weren't even in the right area to see that's why we traveled and it was admittedly very cool. My in-laws are giant astronomy geeks in, you know, the best, most educated way. And I've I've never seen anything like it. I was pretty stoked. I have to say the eclipse up here, totally lame. And I know I have friends who are like, oh my God, it was so amazing, even 85%. I mean, maybe I was just in the wrong place. It was super cloudy. God, I mean, who could even tell? Like, you barely saw anything was going on. It was like a little dimmer outside. And, like, maybe there was, like, a little outline of something against the sun. I thought it was so lame. And then I talked to friends who traveled, and they're like, oh, my God, it was the coolest thing. So it I was, guess the location really is everything in this case. It was. Well, and we had telescopes set up and a solar projector. And so we were really watching moment by moment of the moon and the sun as they overlapped and that that moment of totality the coloration of the thing was just completely different and so if you weren't seeing totality there was an entire visual experience that you missed out on so in 2024 uh, i hope you go get to see it for real i have a friend who lives on the path so maybe i will hey ben i don't know if you're listening to the show (laughs) but you listen to a lot of my shows so maybe So, today we're doing two episodes, Crystal Castle and Troll's Dream, and these two are connected by the characters of the trolls. So we're going to talk about the trolls, and we're going to talk about their kind of interesting position in Etheria's social landscape. But first I want to say, it's about freaking time we got to the Crystal Castle, because it's in the main credits every week, 
And I don't know how how you felt about it, Lauren, but confused is how I felt about right. it. Like she kept mentioning light hope. And I we have not granted we have not been watching every single episode. I've only been watching the episodes Eric has recommended. And so there are a few things that come up in the show that sometimes I just dismiss as that was probably explained in one I didn't watch. And one of them was Light Hope, which clearly just hadn't come up yet. Yeah, this is like something like the 30th, 25th or 30th episode in the series. And finally, they get around to explaining one of the key characters in the main credits. I think the Crystal Castle was meant to play a much larger part in the show initially. It's kind of like the Ethereum counterpart to Castle Grayskull. But okay, Crystal Castle, it's the Eclipse episode. Ooh, so relevant to our life. There is an Eclipse in the Ethereum sky, and unfortunately, Castle Brightmoon takes its power from the moons being bright. So when there's an eclipse, they have no power, and Shadow Weaver knows that. So she's organizing this magical attack on Brightmoon and kind of taking away all of Queen Angela's magic so she can't really do anything to defend herself. And I think Broom tells Shira that, hey, if anything can help, it's the Crystal Castle. And Glimmer's like, well, that's just a legend. And then... Broom says, well, I think Ago, King of the Trolls, has seen it. And then everyone kind of recoils at the mention of Ago, but Shira's like, well, I gotta go see what's up because there's no other option. So she goes and meets the trolls, and the trolls greet her with uh, apprehensiveness because they've been outcast by Ethereum society. The king says, you know, when the Horde came, we tried to help you guys fight them off, and all the humans said, no, we hate you. And so we're just hiding in these mountains cast off by you. And she was like, well, I don't hate you. And in fact, I could really use your help. So the king kind of gives her a riddle that tells her where the crystal castle is. She finds it. She meets the castle's guardian, whose name is Light Hope. So finally, we have that answer. And Light Hope teleports Shira to the center of Etheria, where there's a giant clock. And in a very Superman 1 kind of moment, she speeds up the clock to expedite the eclipse so castle bright moon can get his power back and fight off the horde so that's crystal castle then the second episode we're doing is called trolls dream and it is more specifically about the trolls king ago has a dream that shadow weaver and scorpia are bringing back this thing called the crystal spider not related to the crystal castle and uh shira Bo, one of the twiggets and cowl go to help the trolls fight off the crystal spider but what's really interesting in that episode is it brings this kind of outcast troll angle to the very forefront because one of king ago's kind of underlings goes to the whispering woods to get the rebels and the rebels treat him very shittily and what i like about these episodes is that it shows that you know racism and and just kind of this process of othering and of casting out others it's something that even quote the good guys do like everybody is guilty of it not she-ra because she's the show's hero but every other rebel we meet is pretty complicit in this system of othering these poor trolls and i thought that was really interesting for our purposes so i wanted to talk about it definitely so i was interested in seeing how these two episodes were connected because everything feels like it's solved at a nice, perfect gift box at the end of Crystal Castle. And then it's not uh, based on not, you know, the activities of the Horde or not any sort of like action based plot, but just the fact that othering and racism 
don't get solved so easily. And that's kind of the the overall thing about these episodes that I really liked is that episode one ends with the king of the trolls sort of saying, well, you go talk to your people and I'll go talk to my people and then all this hatred will be over. And then we see very quickly that it isn't. Um, the stereotypes that are pointed towards the trolls live on, even after the trolls have sort of already proven themselves, if you will. So some of the stereotypes, trolls hate everyone, trolls eat horses, and She-Ra, as you say, is the, the heroine of, of this episode, and so she says, we don't really know that until we speak with them, and reluctantly then, for two episodes, the, the good and pure of heart rebellion gets dragged along, acting like jerks the entire way. Uh, just sort of reluctantly helping with this population that is misunderstood. Uh, I have quotes from the author on this one because he gave a pretty good interview about it on the DVDs. Uh, Larry Dottilio, the man who wrote four-fifths of the pilot plus half the series Bible, said, In relation to the Rebels' bad behavior, I wanted it to come from the most innocuous characters on the show. Twiggets are bigots. Oh, no. <laughs> No, I, I mean, hate I, it. He's not saying, you know, that they're always bigoted, but that's just the thing is... Even the sweet, like, Smurf-like characters can have that. Right, and engaging in that, it's not a binary thing. It's not like, well, I am or I am not racist. It's a continuing system, right? Like, that's one of the biggest kind of talking points of, quote, identity politics is, like, everyone is complicit in this to some degree, Right. I feel like we maybe touched on this in a previous episode, but so many people recognize that racist or bigot, those aren't names you want to be called. And people just insist that they're they're not those things. However, racism and othering and bigotry in 2017, there's more to it than just physical violence or Nazi rallies. I mean, you don't have to be so outwardly, obviously, like, cartoon villain racist. Racism and othering is all, you know, much more systematic and sinister now. And so on a day-to-day -day basis, I really push myself to not stereotype others. But I still benefit from a system, and you benefit as well from a system where... It's just easier for someone who looks like me to get an apartment, get a loan, get a job. The problem is that people take that assertion so personally, you know, because privilege doesn't deny that you yourself have had a difficult life. It just says that, categorically speaking, things about your life have been easier because of the color of your skin or because of your gender. I don't see that that's even controversial. But that's probably and yet it is. It is. I'm, it's just because I live in this liberal hell den of Chicago, right? And I've just been inculcated by the far left. And there's definitely uh, the risk that we are in kind of an echo chamber of ideas. But as far as a bubble of, like, a homogenous society, no. 
a city is the opposite of that. Like, you want a homogenous bubble, you go to the rural areas. I mean, you know, the rebels have this bubble too, and each and every one of them, except for Adora, thinks that trolls are just these nasty, violent creatures. And then what's interesting is that upon meeting the trolls, that expectation gets mirrored because the rebels greet them with such hostility. Yeah, well, and I find, you know, <laughs> bless Adora for being so open-minded and and pure, but even Adora's role in this episode is a bit problematic for me because the trolls treat her almost like oh, you're not like other humans. You know, you're you're one of ours. You're one of the good ones, which is, I think, something we often do in our own lives. I mean, it's it's the classic. Well, I have a gay friend, so I I can't be homophobic or I have a black friend so I can't be racist there's this vibe of like I well we have a human friend now so everything's gonna be okay and that's why I bristled a little bit at the end of Crystal Castle when the solution was well you representative of all humans go talk to the humans and I singular representative of all trolls will go talk to the trolls so that's gonna fix it so my like cynical self is glad that it that doesn't work because just like I really resent the whole like I'm not like other girls uh, narrative that women are encouraged to do for themselves. I don't love the well that troll's not like other trolls or that human's not like other humans. I'm happy that that gets snuffed out. Yeah, I think the end of Crystal Castle on that front was meant to be more of a first step. And I think that the writer probably kind of slyly planned this to arc across these two episodes. And we'll see the trolls one more time in another episode that we're covering. Uh, so that's exciting. But let's talk about the non-kind of troll stuff, too, or the non-othering like uh, stuff. So like now that we have the Crystal Castle, what do you think about it? Clearly, it's going to come back more because its its imagery is so prevalent um, in the opening sequence. Something that made me laugh repeatedly in this episode <laughs> was how often people were like, we don't discuss where the Crystal Castle is, but we totally do. So the the King of the Trolls makes it very clear that he promised to never reveal the exact location, but then gives a riddle that gives it away. And similarly, this whole episode is told as a flashback because Madame Raz is telling the story. And the episode ends with her telling all the children, well, we don't know where the castle is. That's she secret. She promised she'd never tell. 
But if Madame Raz has the ability to tell this story at all, that means Shira did come back and say, I know where a very special secret thing is, but I'm not telling you. <laughs> and so to me, that just implies this thing is coming back. Although that is kind of weird because Light Hope technically tells Shira that you can tell anybody who knows your secret. So Madame Raz would be fair game. It, but that is a weird device, right? Because also, like, Adora transforms into She-Ra in the flashback. So you kind of have to assume that Madame Raz is, like, alighting certain parts of the story so as to not give away secrets of the of these characters to the children. Or she doesn't care. She's like, you know, kids are kids. I was into the fact that uh, Light Hope calls her, calls She-Ra the princess of power, Um that doesn't come up in such a verbatim way very often. And I did wonder if that was really ever going to be her title or if that was just the title of the show. And hey, there it is. Hooray. There's a lot of head canon and fan canon that somehow the Crystal Castle is connected to Castle Grayskull. And it's a little like I know this is a kid show and it's not meant to do like Tolkien style world building. But it definitely makes my adult mind wonder, why does the Crystal Castle look so much like her headdress, which is channeling the power of Grayskull? Like, there must be some connection between Castle Grayskull and the Crystal Castle. Uh, another thing that really struck me was the whole clock thing. Uh, one of my favorite memes is is just the the Will Ferrell going, well, that escalated quickly. And that was what went through my head when we finally find this castle and Light Hope basically deus ex machina's us with this like, there's an entirely new aspect to literally how time works in this universe and you can just go fiddle with it and you have to right now. There was a lot to unpack in that moment about how this world worked. Right. Like, did you notice it didn't, it only changed like geological time? Like, it didn't advance time for any of the characters. It just changed the moon and the sun. That was weird. Yeah. I I assumed everything was going to jump forward and there'd be this moment of confusion for everyone because that makes or would have made She-Ra a disturbingly powerful character that everyone can just sort of black out and get moved to a different space and time. So maybe it's better that it went this way. Yeah, you know, but that's why I say it's kind of a Superman 1 ending because I I hate the Richard Donner Superman. I'm sorry I said it. I think there's like one really awesome scene in that movie and the rest of it is pretty garbagey. And one of the biggest garbage things is there's all these ethical ramifications about what it means to reverse the flow of time to save your girlfriend and I just feel like Superman, the Superman I know and love would never do that. And similarly, I'm not sure that She-Ra is doing this for any selfish reasons. She's doing it for justice. But, like, there are ethical ramifications to changing how time works that the show is not very interested in. So... 
Uh, Troll's Dream, I actually really do like. The the stereotypes are, are back with the vengeance in this one. So now not only are trolls dumb and violent, but they're also sneaky. But there's in that, isn't there like an air of truth to how people in reality are? Like, they'll just say any bad trait if they don't like somebody. Like, oh, that person must be this and this because I hate them. And they're like two contradictory things. Yeah, absolutely. And and they eventually drop those pretenses when when Adora is trying to get the group to rally and visit the trolls. Uh, who says it? It's it's one of the, the three. But the line is, he's a troll. That's reason enough. Because Adora just starts dismantling all of those stereotypes and, and backs her friends, Bo and Cowell, so effectively into a corner that they literally just have to say... There's no reason you could give. We just don't like them. Adora was a badass in that part, too, where she's just like, shut up. You're going to do what I say. You're going to work with this troll or you can leave the rebellion. She like has no patience. Yeah, she says, I gave an order, which is a punch I'd, I'd not seen her pull before. She is actually the leader of the rebellion. And they, they all listen to her, which I liked seeing. Um, the rebellion is such a weird hodgepodge of like forest creatures and whimsical sometimes comedic characters that to see them all sort of like fall in line made me go oh there's some legitimacy to this movement absolutely there's still like a a military if you will The, the problematic uh, not-like-others trope was back for a hot second in this one, though. Instead of it being Adora being not-like-other-humans, Ago sends his, his bro and says, uh, well, why don't you travel with them and prove them wrong? As if it's this oppressed party's responsibility to, like, change the minds of the people who hate him. And... I'm not down for that as an overall message. The The show actually didn't focus on that so much, so I don't want to overanalyze it. But it's never the responsibility of the victims of bigotry to like sit down and, and change the minds of the people who are hurting them. I think it's a pretty irresponsible leadership thing to do to say, yes, I know they literally attacked you when you walked into their camp, but why don't you just hang out with them for a while and see what they have to say? That's true. I feel like a little bit that was Ago putting his trust in Shira, but that also rang a little weird with me. I was like, uh, oh, that's yeah. Yeah, well, and I it, it does get somewhat fixed for me in that finally the people who step up to the plate and apologize for their actions and like fix the rift are the people who were such jerks to begin with. It's it's not Shira 
doing the heroism. It's <laughs> it's the B team who I'm happy to see. So how do you feel about where troll human relations are at the close of Troll's Dream? So troll rebellion relations, I think, are definitely mended. Um, whereas before we were sort of putting this all on the back of She-Ra herself to smooth things over, now enough people with enough authority in this social group have seen the good in the trolls and I think are going to advocate for them. And I think that's going to be a, a solid alliance that lasts. And so when you say they're going to come back later in the show, I hope I hope that's true. Uh, troll human relationships in, in general, you know, like interracial relations in Etheria, I'm still left a little embittered about because the greater message that I'm getting here, which I think is also true in today's society, is that convincing one person isn't enough. Uh, even convincing a group of people isn't enough. If convincing a group of people were enough, uh, stereotyping and bigotry and racism in America would be over, and they're clearly not. Everyone, I've said this before, but everyone is the hero of their own story. And it just seems like people are so much more willing to say, no, I know I'm right about this. Or maybe I've met one exception to the rule, but I'm still right about this. Or maybe you've had your mind changed, but I'm still right about this. People hate changing their mind and they hate being wrong so vehemently that prejudices just dig into people's psyches and just don't let go because to say maybe I was racist maybe I had a prejudice maybe I was wrong takes such tremendous effort and takes such admission that you've acted in a less than ideal way towards your fellow man that people just don't want to do it and so maybe the rebellion feels great about trolls there's not a lot of evidence in this episode to say that those people in those other villages will think differently. And that's sad because I think about today and get real worried about, you know, is, are we going to have a peaceful society? So we got to talk about the moral this week. What is No, this moral is a throwaway. <laughs> well, but there's a really great story here, actually. Okay, sure. Um, this is the, this is cool. Well, so first of all, let's say the moral for Crystal Castle actually gets it. It's probably about the closest we've seen to like the right moral so far. Look, he's basically like, uh, you know, sometimes just because a person looks or talks different, some people say bad things about them. That's really silly. I think, okay, yeah, that's pretty much right. You got it, Looky. And then what the fuck is the moral for Troll's Dream? Well, <laughs> in today's story, the troll had a dream. And when I think of dreams, I think of sleep. And next time you're told it's bedtime, remember that getting enough sleep is a very important part of your good health. The Crystal Castle moral might have actually been my favorite one ever. 
because Luki says, wouldn't it be a dull world if we all looked and acted the same? And like, what an inspiring thing to tell a child. Like the next time you go to bully someone for being different, the next time you uh, are fearful of someone for being different, isn't that better than living in a dull, boring world? Oh my gosh, you know, like I wish someone had said that to me when I was younger. That that lesson took a long time for me to learn. Awesome, Lucky, great. And then the next time he's just like, Go to bed when your parents tell you to. Again, putting it on the parents. I also think maybe he is wrong. If you want to have vivid dreams, don't get good sleep. I think that you have more vivid dreams the more sleep-addled you are. So go to bed late. Stay up late. Eat a lot of shitty food. And then you're going to have crazy-ass dreams (laughs) about crystal spiders. But there's a story behind this moral. Uh, Larry Dottilio says... The original moral to this episode addressed racial prejudice more in keeping with the story's theme, uh, but it was deemed too controversial. This was the one time I was angry at Filmation. I'm fascinated by that. I guess I'm not surprised, but I am fascinated because I thought the previous moral was pretty clear. It wasn't subtle. It was pretty clear that we were talking about, you know, race and gender and those sorts of quote unquote controversial differences between people. Yeah, I I don't know how this one would have differed from the Crystal Castle moral to make it a little too hot, but apparently it was. So that's that's kind of interesting, and that's how we get a moral about going to bed. Is there? So let me put this to you in a very earnest sense, because we always make joke morals. But is there a way to then further um, explicate the moral in in Trolls Dream that isn't just saying what Crystal Castle's moral already said? Well, yeah, I've actually been thinking about this a lot in my own life lately. Um, I think something that has changed for me personally in the Trump administration that I'm now pushing some of my friends who I would call like so-called allies, but maybe not very effective allies to do is to show up and call your people out when they're screwing up. There's a lot of people who I see are like self-proclaimed allies who really feel that they're feminists or who really feel that they're not racist, but then will act in ways that are clearly sexist and are clearly racist. It's a hot button issue right now that you have to practice what you preach. And so I've challenged myself to not only say stereotyping is wrong, don't be racist, don't be a bigot. But if someone you claim is a friend is acting that way, show up for your people and call them out and correct them too. Because who else is going to change their mind and redirect them but someone who they already know and trust in their life? So you would look at this more and more from like the rebels arc, which is like, it comes from (laughs) the racist call is coming from inside the house too. And you need to put a stop to that yeah because I think it's maybe this is me being too optimistic again which is rare for me but I think it's a lot more likely to work that way I waste a lot of emotional energy and I get very upset on the internet arguing with strangers on Facebook and telling strangers you know that is incredibly sexist what you just said and here's why or 
that could be triggering to someone and here's why. And I just constantly get called this snowflake, feminazi bitch and words that I don't feel comfortable saying on this show. But if I pull my friend over and I'm like, hey, thing XYZ that you just said made me uncomfortable for the following ways and or could be interpreted by someone for this reason, I'm someone credible and trustworthy and might actually be able to make a change for that person. And that's a good second step to the moral. There, there's a, <laughs> you, you can't just make the change in yourself. I think it is a form of love to your friends and to the people you care about to love them enough to sometimes give them the tough love and tell them when they're being a jerk. Thanks for listening to She-Ra Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We'd super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com, or as a comment on our podcast page at progressiveofpower.wordpress.com. Everyone is biased, but we're not always aware of it. Project Implicit is a Harvard-based initiative helping people and groups identify their biases. You can contribute to their data by taking tests. Some tasks include sorting people by age, or weight, or guessing where they're from. Yes, it's supposed to be uncomfortable. The various results reveal what assumptions we make about others and may surprise you. Take some tests now at implicit.harvard.edu. For the honor of love.